Hello and welcome to the Field Guides. I'm Steve and I'm here with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Steve. Well, this is the 16th episode. Uh, and like always, we're going to give you the experience of what it's like to be out in the field, in the woods and on the trail. Every episode we pick a natural history topic, research the science behind that topic, and head out to a natural spot and share with you everything we learned about that topic. Well, I'm holding back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we have to. I have a few secrets. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, do you want to tell everyone what the topic is today? The topic today, and we've, this is one we've been promising cool. for a while, right? Yeah. We've mentioned this on a couple episodes. Today, we are going to delve into the question of, should you be feeding birds or not? Right. <laughs> All those backyard feeders, uh, some of the listeners out there may have them right outside their windows right now. Is that a good idea? Is it actually uh, beneficial or is it harmful to birds? Yep. And I don't know about you, but I, I felt like a lot of my research came up with the same results. <laughs> There's some good things about feeding birds. There's some bad, bad things, things about feeding birds. And then also so many of the papers, even these like 2015 papers, 2010 papers, they were like, this is a uh, this is a relatively poorly researched topic, uh, and here are some future questions that we really should be answering. Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, I was surprised. I thought maybe there would be more on this, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. But but th I mean, there's a vast amount of literature on this. It's just there's still a lot of questions it's we not, have to ask. It's not very conclusive. So. Yeah. Right. As with many of our topics, <laughs> the answer's up in the air. Right. I feel like we still satisfy our audience oh, to yeah. some degree, but definitely not in the realm of giving you very direct answers. Clear-cut answers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we'll, we'll at least tell you what uh, the research, some of the research is showing out there. But right. before we get into that, sure. I think one thing that we don't do often enough, because I was listening back to some of our old episodes, since we are a in-the-field podcast, mm -hmm. I really think we should uh, spend a little time telling people what's around, um, just oh, kind of set the scene right. for them, right? Because so we're at uh, a park called 18 Mile Creek Park. Mm -hmm. uh, so as usual, we're uh, southeast of Buffalo. We're in one of the south towns of Buffalo, New York. And uh, this is uh, a park that has seen, I would say, quite a bit of disturbance. Wouldn't you agree? I think so, yeah. for sure. <laughs> this was pretty much... What did we see? We saw some beer. <laughs> beer cans. Beer cans right when we came into yeah. the parking lot. Lots of evidence of deer. Yeah. But this was more or less unused county land mm -hmm. um, for most, uh, for I would say the last few decades of the 20th century. So just in the past 10 years or so, there's been some activity here in terms of putting up signage, putting in a parking lot. Um, but I'm not even sure the acreage. It's, you know, maybe 50 to 100 acres. Because I, I think it's really narrow at certain points. Right. So it, it, it's sort of a strange shape to do an easy right. measurement by eye. <laughs> but 18 Mile Creek is one main feature of the park. There's a, a large mm -hmm. gorge here. Uh, you see people fishing down here. Yeah, it's a shale bottom creek. Yeah. It, eventually, um, the water does make its way into Lake Erie. That's our closest large body mm -hmm. of water. The majority of the park is second growth forest. Right. Uh, we're standing right now in the, the middle of a, a snow-covered field. It's a cold... February morning, uh, when I checked the temperature this morning, it was 16 degrees. And we have we have a decent amount of snow, mm -hmm. so it's kind of funny. Our last episode was all about snow, the subnivian layer. You're saying a decent amount of snow. This is like two, three <laughs> inches of snow. A and if you remember from last episode, in order to really have a subnivian zone that does anything, right. you need a little bit over a foot and a half of snow to really get a meaningful subnivian zone. So, so there's not much happening I, under this. I think this winter we haven't had one yet, if I had to guess. 
I would think you're probably right. We had a, a heavy snowfall where we had around a foot, but it melted quickly. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, so if you want to find out more about uh, the Subnivian Zone, what that's all about, check out episode 15 if you haven't already. Yeah. All right, so uh, on to our topic today, though. So I wanted to start by asking you, Steve. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to Ithaca, New York? I've tasted Ithaca. <laughs> what does that brewing mean? Brewing company. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so Ithaca, New York is a... If uh, they want to sponsor us... <laughs> Hey. I think it's illegal to drink in the field, and I don't want to don't want to promote drinking in, on public lands. <laughs> well, obviously we wouldn't be alone, but <laughs> but the reason I asked is uh, because Ithaca is a, a town in central New York mm-hmm. in the Finger Lakes area, and in Ithaca is one of the uh, world-renowned ornithological research institutes, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. So, uh, if, for folks that haven't heard of it. There are over 200 scientists, staff, uh, students, and their mission is to spread the word about biodiversity, to do research into biodiversity, but their research is focused on birds. Uh, so they produce uh, a magazine, they have an award-winning web- website, but they also do citizen science projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is Project Feeder Watch. One of them is the Great Backyard Bird Count. Those are things that uh, anyone can look up information on and get involved in. But um, some of the research that I looked into for this episode was produced by Cornell. Okay. Uh, and they did look into their feeder watch data, because they've been doing it for 30 years. And then they also compared it with Christmas bird count data. Oh, so interesting. They, they work a lot with Audubon Bird Count, or I'm sorry, with uh, Audubon Society and with um, Bird Studies Canada to kind of get a big picture of North America bird life. So... In one of the studies, I thought it would be a good way to introduce the topic today, was they talked to a fellow named David Bonter uh, at the Lab of Ornithology, and he said that it's estimated there's 50 million people in America feeding birds. So we've embarked on this huge experiment uh, informally, and there's hardly any research, relatively speaking, into the ecological and behavioral effects. He actually said that the biggest challenge for scientists studying birds is to find control groups that don't have access to feeders. And he said it's almost impossible to kind of separate the impacts of feeders from things like climate change and um, habitat changes. They're just all intertwined together. It's this incredibly complex uh, subject. It's important for this kind of study that you have large sample sizes. Yeah. You also have to make sure that the birds are using the feeders. So there has to be some type of food stress. Like if it's a really mild winter where there's plenty of food, there's not harsh conditions, that may not give you the best results because you want to test the conditions under which they would utilize feeders. So there's actually a difference there. And then also, and this is maybe the most important, which some other studies have actually kind of messed up in the past, is that you need to make sure that your experimental and control groups uh, they have to be in widely separate sites. Like, even in the, the course of, like, one day, a bird can, can travel miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. So um, so I just, I just wanted to add that because uh, I had found the same thing, where some studies were not really taken into account, just the range that birds have. And you think maybe a bird that you had tagged is not a defeater, but maybe he really is, or... Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do, so I I congratulate these guys for doing this type of research, but um, it it definitely seems like it's a rough rough type of study to do. I should say when I'm saying experimental and control groups, the experimental groups in this case are groups that have access to bird feeders, and then the control groups 
are the groups that do, do not, not have access. I just wanted to clear that up just in case we had anyone. Yeah, who didn't and that's catch what David Bonter was saying is that it's hard to find populations that don't have access. Right. You know, if you're studying especially passerine birds. Sure. The little perching birds. So before we get into any specific studies, I just wanted to talk about some of the general uh, positive benefits that are thought to be connected to feeders and then the negatives as well. So as far as the benefits, uh, we know that some regular feeder visitors like cardinals uh, are doing very well because their populations are growing and ranges are expanding. And there's some evidence that feeding also causes earlier egg laying. Uh, and the earlier your eggs lay, the earlier they're going to hatch, so they have more time to grow and get strong before the winter sets in. It's not just the early hatching, it's asynchronous hatching. So if you have all your chicks hatching at once, that's going to be tough because then you have to feed so many birds at once. At but once. if you have hatching sort of staggered, then you can space out the feeding within the peaks of the need for the food. Sure. You know? Then there's going to also be larger clutch sizes. There's some evidence for that. Decreased mm -hmm. time between clutches. Uh, reduced sibling aggression, higher fledgling success, and then reduced predation. There's been some evidence for all those. Now, as far as the negatives, it's been associated with things like increased competition, disease transmission, uh, deaths from window strikes, especially if your feeders are close to the house, increased predation pressures, uh, because sometimes hawks, uh, other predators like that, are drawn to feeder sites. Mm -hmm. So those are some of you know, the general positive and negatives that have been connected to feeders, and we're going to get into some of those specifics. I'm glad you brought up the window strikes, though, because I'd written that down, too. Yeah. I'm like, it's interesting because it's it's totally indirectly related, but that's definitely part of it. Yeah, you know? and if you have 50 million Americans feeding birds, right. that's a lot of potential for window strikes. Some people, it's their job to go around and find birds that are lying on the sidewalk <laughs> in front of, you know, skyscrapers and stuff. Yeah, especially in urban areas, window yeah. strikes are, are a big deal. Those There's... skyscrapers have to stop putting out bird feeders. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. Now, we can cut this out possibly. Well, what then let's I... just skip it. <laughs> no, I want to bring it up. So I thought maybe misconceptions, there's two misconceptions I wrote down mm -hmm. that a lot of people when they look into feeding birds, they have these two misconceptions. Will birds refrain from migrating if feeders are available? And will birds starve if you fail to fill your feeders? Mm. Do you want to mention those two things quick? Sure. My first would be... Hold on. What, what was the first one? Will, Will birds, birds refrain from migrating oh. if feeders are available? Yes and no. Right. Generally Correct. speaking, they still migrate, but some have reduced their migration. I think, like, blue jays or something don't migrate as much anymore. Like, I know they stick around all winter long, but there is some yeah. short-distance migration. Many others just, they, I think it's like a daylight thing. Or what, do, you, do you remember what the mechanisms are for migration? For migration, it's chiefly length of daylight. Right, yeah. so I, th I think that that kind of trumps other things. Not to say that it couldn't have some effect, but I think for the most part you don't really see any differences right. in migration. Generally speaking, in the, in the research that I looked at, the answer is no, but there are certain cases... Uh, and then kind of over time, it may be impacting birds. I did see some evidence from Europe that specific populations, like I saw in Finland, there's some evidence that uh, certain species are not migrating like they used to because feeders right. are available. But generally speaking, it's not something we need to worry about. And then your second question was... Will birds starve if I fail to fill my feeders? Uh, yes and no. I don't... <laughs> okay. so, but mostly, no. Yeah. The, the vast majority, no. But I think it's something that Bill and I had talked about in a previous podcast, yes. is that, like, let's say if the, if the weather takes a turn for the worse, it's always just better just to make sure that you throw some boots on, throw a coat on, and Get suffer out there, out there with them. Feeders, yeah. And you're only suffering for a split second. So. <laughs> so, yeah, so I looked into the question of how much food does 
a bird take from a feeder. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time finding a specific number. I found some references to about 25% of their diet will come from a feeder. So we can't say for sure. What do you have sure. to do? Dissect birds and look what's in their stomach? The, uh, the one study that made reference to it talked about using um, radioactive isotopes. So they can oh. see like what percentage of the food is coming from feeders. Right. Right. So as far as uh, birds starving, if you don't feel like feeders, usually not. But when the weather turns bad, uh, it seems that birds will rely on feeders more. So as we said, weather turns bad, get out there, make sure your feeders are filled. Do you mind if I actually just jump into a quick study? No, this is a very, it. very basic study. Let's talk well, about it. I take that back. <laughs> this is a very good study, but it gives some very clear basic uh, result. Can we walk and talk? Yeah, sure. So this study specifically looked at black-capped chickadees. They looked at 418 birds that had access to bird feeders, to supplemental feeding, and they had 158 birds that didn't have it. So the birds with supplemental feeding, they had a 95% monthly survival rate, and they had a 69% overwinter survival rate. Now just try to keep those in mind, so 95% monthly and then 69% over winter. The 158 birds without supplemental feeding, they had an 87% monthly survival rate, so that's a bit of a drop, and then they had a 37% over winter survival wow. rate. So oh, that's, that's a big drop. that drops by half almost. No. Yeah, so, uh, so that would indicate it's almost half, yeah. that feeding birds during the winter doubles chickadees' chance of survival. But here's the thing, the biggest differences between survival, between the control group and the experimental group, were during periods when the temperatures dropped below zero and they lasted for five days or longer. Below zero. Degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Negative 18 Celsius or something. I don't know Celsius. So when you have long cold spells. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, but they have to last for five days or more and that's when you really saw the difference. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Those little birds. If the weather gets really bad and you don't feel like going out and filling your feeders, you're a murderer. Yeah, if you look if you look back to our winter survival episode, Bill and I talked about how quickly birds run through their fat reserves. Right. So even you not going out for a period of a couple days or something, you know, when the weather really turns for the worst, that could drop their survival rate during that period oh, pretty man. drastically. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to be surviving, but you'll have. Less. More birds surviving more often <laughs> if, if you feeding. if you feed the birds. Yeah. yeah, something we had said in previous episodes that you and I have repeated, I think, a few times, was that feeding the birds is really only for us, okay. right? But it does seem like it actually does have a positive effect on these birds. But I mean, after looking at the literature, though, it really does seem like a lot of these birds are kind of the same birds showing up to the feeder. Right. It's not very species diverse, and, and I feel like these these birds, even without feeding. Even if their survival rates are a little bit lower, or even by half, they're still going to get by. They're still going to survive. They're still going to do okay. Right. And I don't think there's any any feeder birds that I can think of that aren't doing all right. You know what, Steve? This is... It's like you set this up for me perfectly. Yeah, go ahead. So, the study that I wanted to start with was from the Cornell Lab, and it was actually from 2016. They did an analysis of their Project Feeder Watch data of the mm-hmm. past 30 years. They made one simple prediction. They said if feeding birds is harmful, then the species that use feeders the most should be doing the worst, all else being equal. Okay. okay. So after after correcting for all the other different... Right. Yeah. So they, they, their data told them how often a species uses feeders, because I participate in Project Feeder Watch, and you watch your feeders on a regular cycle, you record the numbers that you see. 
And then they compared that data to the Christmas bird count data to give an independent estimate of how each species was doing over time. You with me so far? I think so. <laughs> and they looked at 98 species that used feeders at least a moderate amount. Okay. Because we shouldn't assume that uh, all our listeners know this, but some birds use feeders and some birds do not. Right. Uh, one bird that we mentioned in our winter birds episode, <laughs> or whatever it was called, yeah. um, we had talked about brown creepers. Right. They don't really use feeders, Not right? too often, yeah. yeah. So what they found was that species that use bird feeders the most tended to be doing just as well or better than species that use feeders more sporadically. Just like you said, the yeah. birds that are using feeders seem to be doing well. Now, is it attributable to the feeders? It's hard to say. So they said, for example, red-bellied woodpeckers, they visit feeders regularly, and they're doing really well. But pinion jays, they visit feeders more sporadically, and they're showing declines. I don't remember if it was pinion jays, but they talked about how supplemental feeding, bird feeding, resulted in earlier egg laying. So then when the eggs did hatch, they weren't in sync with their regular natural food. Right. Because they were coming out earlier. And the early egg laying also has the, the risk of like a late uh, winter event yeah, hitting. That's yeah. true. Especially around here. Right. <laughs> in western yeah. New York. We can get snow in April, sometimes in May. Zeus knows we don't get early winter events. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up that feeder watch study, um, what they said is that they're still working to refine their analysis. But the take-home message, so far, it seems that species that visit bird feeders a lot tend to be doing very well overall. Right. Now, I have another study that does delve into some negatives. Do you want to jump in with something else? Or? You know, only because we had already brought this up a little bit, I just wanted to shoehorn this study in really quick. All right. There was a study from 2008 from Diversity and Distributions, and honestly, I could just describe it in one quick sentence. After controlling for habitat availability, they looked at the density of bird feeding stations across different urban environments. They found that an increase in feeder density had an increase to bird abundance. That seems obvious, right? More feeders, more birds. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because the study also found that even though it increases abundance, it's not increasing species richness, which is uh, what I had brought up earlier. So you're getting more of the same. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It really only applies to the species that utilize feeders. Something else they found is that neighborhoods with more money led to more bird feeding and more species richness and abundance. I'm completely using anecdotal experience here, but as someone who feeds birds, I can tell you that when I started out working at a nature center not making very much money, mm -hmm. I fed black oil sunflower seed. Now that uh, I'm in a two-income household, we feed peanuts, we feed black oil sunflower seed, right. we feed shelled peanuts, <laughs> except when it's really snowing, and I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like going out there. <laughs> <laughs> you hypocrite. <laughs> I know. I have to admit. There Send your daughter out. <laughs> when she's old enough. Yeah. All right, so the next study that uh, I found, this was from 2016 as well. That's the cool thing about this topic. There were a lot of recent studies. Yeah. This was looking at uh, predators and nest survival of urban American robins and cardinals. Oh, okay. So what they did in uh, Columbus, Ohio, they looked at seven different neighborhoods over the course of five breeding seasons. And they quantified supplementary food, so bird seed, and the relative abundance of six common nest predators. So they looked at cowbirds, grackles, blue jays, squirrels, crows, and domestic cats. Yeah. And how it related to nest survival of two songbirds. So what they found is that generally speaking, there wasn't a big impact. If you had more bird feeders, 
you were going to have more crows and more cowbirds. So they said neighborhoods with at least 15 feeders had an average of almost three times more crows and about three times more cowbirds. Okay. Compared to neighborhoods with three or fewer feeders. But it didn't generally affect the success of the nests the researchers monitored. But the one thing they did find was interesting is that when you had a lot of crows, then the nest survival of robins declined. Okay. So when you yeah. had a lot of feeders and a lot of crows, that generally wasn't good for the robins. Okay. Although bird feeders generally don't promote nest predation, there may be nuanced and species-specific responses that have the potential to affect common breeding birds. So right. they were really saying, you know, we're trying to answer this question, is bird feeding good or bad? But it, things are so complex, it's probably, there are probably species-specific answers. Right. Kind of the takeaway from that, if you're looking for a, a very clear answer, is if you're feeding birds and you're drawing in a lot of crows, it's probably not going to be good for the robins, so yeah. maybe don't feed during the breeding season. You know, hold off feeding that. Yeah, we love those turds. <laughs> those migrating turds. For sporadic listeners, why did you say that? Turdus migratorius. That's yeah, the, uh, so <laughs> I don't know what turdus means, so we just call them the turds. scientific name. Yeah. <laughs> it's way better than the cardinal scientific name. Ah, uh, cardinalis, cardinalis. Lame. Yeah. Oh, the kingbird? Tyrannus, tyrannus. Ah, uh, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> yeah, not very creative. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, what else you got? This is just a, more or less a trivial thing, but one thing I did want to bring up, and preferably I wanted to bring it up earlier on, but there's two ways that we feed birds. There's the direct way, which yeah. just bird feeders, Putting right? bird seed, yeah. And then the indirect way, <laughs> which I never even considered, which is essentially just waste treatment, collection, <laughs> and transportation. Garbage. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Even if you're not putting out a bird feeder, you are sort of feeding birds still, right. indirectly, but you're still doing it. And I actually had a number that disagreed with something you had said earlier. You had said 50 million Americans? Yes. Well, that's what the fellow from uh, Cornell said. Right. Well, this was a study from 2004, but even back then they had said uh, 82.5 million people in the United States, and they said that we spend over $1 billion on feeding birds. I looked it up when I was going over my notes last night. So there's a little over 300 million Americans. So that's like one in five, one in six people are feeding the birds. People really like birds. <laughs> <laughs> They're the animal that's the easiest to see everywhere. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. But I still think that even though birds are so ubiquitous and people love them so much, there's still a great deal of bird blindness. Do you sure. agree? Where people just kind of assume there's not the diversity out there that there is. Yeah. Watch out. You're really close to yeah. the edge right there. <laughs> Steve's walking within like a foot of a... 200 foot drop there <laughs> and looking at my notes and not the path in front of me so here's a couple of basic points that i found on bird feeding so in general you'll find that seed eaters nectivores and omnivores benefit the most but like we had said it's not essential for survival so one more thing i did want to add is just this study i thought it was a really great overview it was from 2009 from frontiers in ecology and in the environment oh wait a minute was this by jillian rapp yeah Rob McDonald. Food for thought? Yeah, okay. Oh my gosh, we had the same study. <laughs> so do you, how about this? Here's a curveball. Do you want to introduce it then? All right, yeah. So this is almost 10 years old now. We're not going to fall through here. <laughs> yeah, we're walking over some ice right now, folks. <laughs> I like this study because uh, even though the data is a little old now, it looked at a lot of different studies and just gave an overview. So one of the things that they looked at is specific questions about feeders. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, they looked at the fact that many people feed birds over the winter, a lot of people just feed in the wintertime because they have the idea that, oh, I'm going to help birds survive in the winter. And as we just talked about, for some species, you could say that. 
it does help. So they looked at all these studies and they said, although survival rates of small pastorins are hard to estimate, it does seem that that expectation is playing out. So this is in agreement with the vast majority of everything else we've been saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except for the exceptions. <laughs> right. Um, it can help. Yeah. And what else did you see in there? They wanted to see how feeding affected reproduction, behavior, distribution, things like that. Yeah, so, that's what I meant. They looked at those specific questions, those specific areas. Right. So one of the things they looked at was egg laying. And like we had said earlier, they found that um, egg laying with supplemental feeding generally occurs earlier and as much as one month earlier in some cases. Right. Yeah, and broods generally survive better than, than later broods. Yep. And like I had said before, with those harsh conditions, they had said that feeding is the most impactful when the conditions are rough. Right. Or there's other things where you have poor habitat. So maybe the birds are only there because there's feeders. Right. And then also with young birds. If you're raising young, it tends to help. If they're in poor environments with low quality food, it tends to help. It tends to help. And in um, rough conditions. Yeah. yeah. And this study also looked at the question of, are there going to be large-scale population dynamic and migration strategy changes. And they use that term ecological trap, which we've talked about, I believe, in episodes before, mm -hmm. where birds are going to be induced to stay in an area because of food. So I mentioned this before, where in Finland, there seems to be an indication there's an increasing tendency for birds to overwinter there rather than migrate south. But they said, however, there are examples that indicate otherwise. And they looked at survival rates for black-capped chickadees, where feeding took place for 25 years and then they stopped and they said survival rates didn't differ. So at least for that species in particular um, it really doesn't seem to have a big impact. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but chickadees are tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I also found that was interesting was that I had brought up egg laying before. Yeah. When you have supplemental feeding it usually leads to increased egg number and or increased egg, egg size. size. That makes sense. But the one thing that they had said about egg size was somewhat surprising to me. Well, maybe not surprising, but they had questioned the benefit of having larger eggs. So there are a couple things that are good. So larger eggs are generally higher quality. It usually means there's more nutrients in there for the developing bird to have. Um, they usually stay in the egg a little bit longer, so there's more time to develop, so they're bigger when they're coming out. And they also, the eggs cool more slowly when the adult is off the nest. And these larger eggs tend to hatch later. So like I said, they're they have more nutrients in there to feed on. We consider the yolk. There's probably more yolk there. The bird's developing longer, and it's larger when it hatches. But one thing that they had brought up is that this may only be a short-lived advantage. Maybe that advantage sort of disappears with time after hatching. Okay. But that's what they're saying, and that, that surprised me because I was like, "Oh, if you get a if you get like a a positive start in life, yeah, you would, think you would that imagine way. that you would continue to have that increased." chance advantage. of survival yeah, yeah that advantage i guess it's short-lived it's really just in the egg stage and then the early chick yes yeah, i'd chick like stage. to look more into why that is you would yeah. think the advantage would continue well past hatching time you know all these species specific things mm -hmm. it just gets me thinking that to ask a question like well how does supplemental feeding affect birds right i think people especially lay people that haven't looked into birds a lot they just kind of lump birds together and think they're all super similar <laughs> right. but you wouldn't say like oh how does feeding mammals affect all mammals right right i mean blue jays are <laughs> as different from chickadees as a bear is from a weasel you know right. what i mean so like i think i think it's interesting to look at overall effects like the trends in birds in general but if you're actually going to do anything meaningful like we were talking before if there's a species that needs help more than another species right it's, I, I think it's pretty important to look at the specific uh, species effects that, that that species has. With That's the, where the we're really going to get meaningful data, I would think. Right, yeah. right. You want to have specific outcomes for specific species. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the last thing I want to talk about is disease. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So 
the 2008 study we were talking about that kind of reviewed lots of studies, they did find that feeders may play a role in disease transmission. Um, so I know when Project Feeder Watch started 30 years ago, I was working at the Nature Center, and at that time, researchers were concerned about house finch eye disease. The disease is also called mycoplasmal conjunctivitis. This causes birds to have red, swollen, runny, or crusty eyes. Some Gross. birds do recover, but it, can't, it did cause a lot of birds to die, and it had a significant impact on house finch populations in the east. And since then, since when it was really first being looked at in the 90s, it's spread to the western populations, and mm -hmm. it's even spread to other species. Because I know doing Project Feeder Watch this year, they're asking, whenever I report goldfinches, they ask me, is there any evidence of eye disease? There's evidence of other diseases being spread through feeders as well. So, mm -hmm. folks, if that's something you're interested about, then what you should do is clean your feeders. They say to clean them every two weeks. That's the best. Uh, you can rinse them with hot soapy water and then rinse them in a, a nine parts water to one part bleach. Who actually does that every two weeks, clean their feeders? I don't know. Yeah. But I know I've made an effort to buy feeders that I, I can actually put into the dishwasher. Oh, uh, cool. So I try to do, you know, at least once a month, clean out my feeders, especially during the warm months of the year. As long as you're bringing up passerines, uh, one thing that I did just want to throw in is that when we're talking about passerines, it's also important to talk about predators. One of the studies that I looked at was actually looking at Cooper's hawks, sharpshin hawks, and cats. Specifically with the Cooper's hawks, they found that in urban areas, Cooper's hawks had greater rates of disease. Specifically, this study was looking at trichomoniasis. I think it's, a, it's actually transmitted disease in humans as well, but it's something that there's versions of in other species. So this study was looking at Cooper's hawks, but it's also fatal in some finches. And also I read about it being carried by doves and pigeons. It's like a sure. protozoan disease. When a hawk takes down a pigeon or a dove, it could also get infected with this disease. And it doesn't sound like a fun disease to get. <laughs> it's not like those fun I mean, diseases. Some diseases <laughs> are fun. Know, yeah, are incredible. So this one, it, this ca one. it causes painful lesions in the mouth and throat area and on other organs, and it can cause deformities and swelling and yes. death. <laughs> So it makes sense that if passerines have an increased yeah. disease So by feeding, um, by feeding birds, if your feeders aren't clean, if disease is being spread through your feeder site, you could also be infecting predators in the area. Yeah, so directly the passerines and indirectly the raptors. Yeah. All right, do you have anything else? I think that's more or less it. All right, so I just had a few things to wrap up with. I started this conversation talking about the feeder watch analysis. Mm -hmm. So they talked about how generally feeder birds are doing well and that the bird species that are in the need of most conservation action are not birds that use feeders. It's the seabirds, the shorebirds, and the tropical forest dwellers. So although feeding birds aren't harmful to the species that use feeders the most, it also isn't helpful to the species that need our help the most. Yes, you're helping the birds, but you're not helping the birds that need the most help. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems like the birds that are going to the feeders are the birds that are already yeah, pretty okay. abundant anyway. So, I actually saw in several of the papers I looked at, it talked about the, I don't want to say immeasurable consequences of feeding birds, but they're saying that feeding birds does help people have a relationship with nature. And that's not something we should just discount out of turn. If you're just looking for hard data, it can be easy to say, ah, oh, that doesn't matter. But it can give people a relationship with nature, a window into learning more about the species around them. Yeah, and then maybe you can get on the same vibration as the birds. The, uh, the golden, right, the golden spiral energy vibration, and then you become one. You're all part of the same cloth. I knew you were, knew you were going to do that. You were going to take it somewhere <laughs> and mock it. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to end with this, though. I feel like we're not in the same vibration. <laughs> I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> Steve's being mean. Uh, no, I, I support it. I feel like I couldn't love all this stuff as much if I didn't spend so much time hiking around in it. And, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, one of the leaders of Project Feeder Watch, she summed it up best. She said, we can definitively say we don't have enough studies on the indirect impacts of bird feeding to make any sweeping statements. It's very important that biologists keep studying it. That said, from what we know, we have very few examples of negative impacts and many examples of positive or neutral impacts. So if uh, you get some smart aleck saying, you know, you shouldn't be feeding the birds because of this reason or that reason, you can say, hey, the field guide said... <laughs> Generally speaking, it's okay. Yeah. We're the authority on <laughs> we this. We are I totally think. the authority. <laughs> when I was getting ready to, to leave this morning, uh, my wife asked, she's like, so what's this month's topic on? I said, oh, we're going to answer the question of whether feeding birds is good or bad. She's like, so what'd you find? I'm like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> she's like, all right, I don't have to listen then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Cool. So do you want to wrap up here? Yes. Okay. So, as always, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate your patronage. We just want to give a quick shout-out. In order from best to worst... No, No, so so here's the list. Thank you so much, Ken Scott. We named the dog Indy. (laughs) That was one of the... Oh, I love it. (laughs) Nice Indiana Jones reference. Paul, Molly, Rob, Alyssa, Dave, Chimera, Kimberly, and Lee. Thank you guys so much. This this show wouldn't be happening as good without you. And definitely, I, I do want to bring up Kiva again. Yes. As soon as we hit that benchmark, we will be donating to Kiva. And when the loan gets repaid, we'll just keep recycling those loans over and over and over again. And hopefully, if we're lucky enough, we can have multiple loans cycling through the system and we can just be helping as many people out and you know with their environmental projects in developing countries as we can. If you're a patron of the field guides, a portion of your patronage is going to go help support environmental projects in developing countries. And if people want to join our list of patrons, where do they go, Steve? They can go to patreon.com forward slash the field guides. All right, so folks, we also want to thank everyone who has left some reviews lately on iTunes. Uh, That does help a lot. Thank you for the ratings, and thanks for those that took the time to write out a review. Uh, So we ask people to keep doing that, uh, suggest the podcast to your friends, suggest that they write reviews as well. It's going to raise the visibility of the podcast and help us grow our audience more. It's been a while since we've thanked anyone. I think the last episode we thanked anyone may have been the vegan episode. It's possible. Uh, And and we will address that comment. Uh, We we do plan on doing a short follow-up episode of the vegan one. But um, And I think we already thanked these guys. But thank you so much to Bobcat Brad and and Molly Goldsmith. Thank you guys so much for your comments. Thank you to Jabronis Montanis. Thank you to Liz, to Spinoicos. (laughs) Thanks to Sheila. Um, A name that I'm so sorry it's in another alphabet that i'm not familiar with you know who you are it's go naturalist thank you so much for your comment thank you to the wave mongoose to jelps the audubon owl man and brendan thank you guys so much we really Thanks, appreciate bro. the feedback the constructive criticism even even just the praise you know yeah. <laughs> like it gives me a reason to get out of bed in the morning and edit that terrible four-hour episode that we're doing it's actually it's turning out very well sorry it's not out the yet christmas but bird the christmas kind of, bird kind of episode it, it's a fun episode i think it is it's sort of like that uh, podcast blog type thing so okay. it, it's fun all right folks check us out on facebook and as always thanks for listening and we'll see you next time